0: Several years ago, there was a large 14-foot crucifix that sat outside a cemetery, Calvary Cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. It had been standing there at the entrance for about 50 years. It was placed there about 1930 by a Catholic bishop. And it had been valued at some $10,000. But thieves came and stole that crucifix. The police think they just cut it right off at the base and threw it in a pickup truck and got away with it. The police imagined that they cut it into scrap materials and sold it and probably got about $500 out of it. Obviously, the thieves did not have any idea of the value of that cross. I wonder this morning if we understand the value of the cross. I wonder what you think of every time you see the cross. Do you realize its value or is it something, a symbol that has just kind of blended into the fabric of everywhere we look? I mean, there are crosses everywhere. On the top of churches, carved in a graveside tombstone, engraved in rings, suspended on a chain around people's necks. It's kind of funny, this cross has become the symbol of Christianity. It's interesting that that's our symbol. A tool of torture has come to symbolize a movement of hope. I mean, would you wear an electric chair around your chain, a small one? Or would you place a hangman's noose gold-plated on the wall? Would you print a picture of a firing squad on your business card? Well, yet that's what we've done with the cross. But we understand why, don't we? Because only in the cross do we find salvation. Only in the cross is forgiveness. Only in the cross is hope. Only in the cross is everlasting life only in the cross. The cross has come to symbolize everything that we believe in as Christ followers. The cross has come to stand for everything that we believe as a church. It's the cross. Have you ever wondered where the cross originated? It was invented by the Persians carried on by the Romans as a form of punishing criminals. If a criminal was found guilty of a crime worthy of being crucified, the criminal would be stripped of his clothing. He would be forced to carry at least the crossbeam of the cross, which weighed about 50 pounds usually, or sometimes he would be forced to carry the whole cross, sometimes weighing as much as 200 pounds. He would drag it through the streets as crowds gathered to, to mock them, to make fun of them. And all the while, soldiers would follow behind and and whip them with whips that tore through their skin. They would take him, this criminal to the cross, to the place of crucifixion, and they'd lay him down on top of the cross, and they would take nails and hammer his hands to the cross, and they'd tie his arms with ropes. They'd take his feet and they'd bend his knees just a little bit and then pound his feet into that cross. And then they'd set the cross up. Now, there's some debate among historians about the height of these crosses. We often see them as very tall things in pictures, but a lot of historians would say that the cross actually was much shorter because they wanted the criminal to be able to see eye to eye with his tormentors so people could look him in the eye and make fun and spit on him. I'm not sure about which height. I do know that what caused death on the cross was not so much the pain or even the blood loss, but often it was suffocation. In that position of hanging, it's almost impossible to breathe. And at times, though, the criminal would push himself up with his feet just a little bit to be able to breathe again. And he'd stay there as long as he could until he could stand the pain in his legs no longer and then he would collapse again. He'd have trouble breathing and he'd push himself back up. Sometimes it would take a criminal who hung on the cross as much as two days to actually die. If the soldiers got tired of waiting on the process, they'd just break his leg so that he couldn't push up anymore and eventually he would suffocate well as our drama team read at the very beginning the story of Jesus arrest and trial we heard in the story that Pilate finds Jesus guilty and allows the crowds to take him away to be crucified he hands him over to some soldiers and they go and do to Jesus exactly what they had done to other criminals and they did it well in the Roman style they took him away to be crucified And I want to spend a few minutes at the cross today listening to the words of Jesus. He speaks about seven times while He hangs on the cross. Each time it's very brief, it's all He can muster, but each time is of great significance. And out of all these sayings, I want to focus in on three things that Jesus says while He hangs on the cross because I think they remind us of the value of the cross, of the meaning of the cross, of the power of the cross. If you want to turn in your Bibles, I hope you brought them today. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. We're going to pick up the story kind of right where the drama team left off. And Jesus has been led to the cross. He's been nailed to the cross. The cross has been set up right. And then Jesus begins to speak some. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament of your Bible. Matthew 27. We're going to start reading in verse 45. Here's what happens. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elo, Elo, Lama Subathini, which means, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Now some have called this the cry of desolation. Why do we hear these words from Jesus? Why these words of despair? Why these words of loneliness? Why these words of desolation? Well, there's a practice that happened in the Old Testament that I think sheds some light on what happens here to Jesus to cause Him to express these feelings. There was this Old Testament practice that every year somehow the sins of the people had to be dealt with, but there with no way to permanently deal with them. And so they offered sacrifices and they had other rituals that they would participate in. And one of these rituals involved gathering all of the people together. And the high priest would come before the nation of Israel and they would bring a, a pure, spotless, perfect, unblemished goat before them. And, and the priest would stand before all of the people and he'd place his hands on the head of that goat and he would begin to confess All of the sins of the people and all of their lies, their lust, their hatred, their selfishness, their pride were placed on the head of this scapegoat. And when the priest had finished confessing all of the sins of the nation of Israel and placing them upon this goat, the goat, the scapegoat, would be let out of the city, out into the wilderness, out far away, and then the goat would be abandoned. Because you see, the people needed to be separated from their sins. And so that scapegoat would be left there all alone. The bearer of the sins. All of the sins of the people had been placed on this scapegoat. The Bible says that Jesus is our scapegoat. In a sense, when Jesus hung on the cross and when He echoed those words, He became the worst of sinners. Because all of our sin was placed on Him. He became guilty of our lies, our deceit, our lust, our murder, our anger, our pride. All placed on Jesus. He took the punishment for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. He experienced the pain and the loneliness of hell for us. He took upon Himself our sins. He became our scapegoat goat, every lie ever told, every object ever coveted, every selfish act were placed on him. And in that moment, because he became filled with sin, God could no longer be a part of his life and God turned away. And in that moment, Jesus was alone as the scapegoat. The Bible explains what Jesus did this way in 2 Corinthians. We read, Christ never sinned, but God treated Him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if He had lived your life so that you could be treated as if you had lived Jesus' life. Our sins were placed on Jesus so that His perfect life could be credited to our account. Jesus was separated from God so that you and I could be reconciled to God. Now here's my question about that. Why would anyone do that? Why would someone be willing to do that for me? And the only explanation I know is love. That was the depth of God's love for every one of us. In fact, here's how the Bible explains it in 1 John 4. It says, this is love. It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us. For God sent His Son to pay for our sins with His own blood. (laughs) That's an incredible love. I heard a pastor this week tell the story of a time that a young lady that he knew very well, knew her family well, came to his office with her boyfriend. And they sat down in his office and said, Pastor, we're we're going to elope. He was shocked by that news. And she said, yes, I'm pregnant and we can't bear to try to tell my family, so we're just going to go off and get married and, and leave. The pastor said, no way, that is not happening. You have to tell your father. You have to tell your parents. And as he talked, the girl began to soften and the boy realized that and thought, I'm not having any part of this. There is no way I'm facing up to this. And he took off. So in the next moment, the pastor convinced the young lady, we've got to go talk to your father right now. she finally agreed and they got into the car and they went to his office building. They walked right into his office. The secretary tried to stop him. No, you can't go in there. And the pastor said, we are going in there. The father was talking on the phone in the midst of a conference call. He saw the pastor and his daughter coming and he saw the looks on their faces and he said to the people on the conference call, you're going to have to excuse me. I'll try to rejoin you again in a few minutes. And he hung up the phone. He walked around to the front of his desk and kind of leaned on the desk as his daughter sat in front of him, the pastor on the other side. The pastor said, your daughter has something she needs to tell you. But there was silence. The father finally said, I hope you haven't come to tell me that you have done something wrong. And there was no response. A couple of tears. He said to her, I hope you haven't come to tell me that you're pregnant. And with that, the tears began to flow down her face. And he picked her up and held her out like this and said, I am so disappointed in you. I am so sad that you made that choice. But then he took those big arms and he wrapped them around his daughter. And he said, but I want you to know I love you just the same. There is nothing that you could do that would cause me to stop loving you. And they stood there and wept together at this point the pastor dismissed himself from the office and went downstairs and got in his car and drove straight home he Got out of his car and went up to his daughter's bedroom and said to her what would you do if you were pregnant she jumped up right away and said dad that would never happen it's not i'm not i'm not it's you know and the father said i i know i know but what would you do if you were The daughter again processed and said, Dad, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't let that happen. He said, I understand that. But just theoretically, what's the first thing that you'd do if you found out you were pregnant? She looked at him and she said, I guess I'd come and I'd tell you. And he took his daughter in his arms and he said to her, honey, I want you to know there is nothing that you could ever do that would cause me to stop loving you. God looks at us And He says to every one of us, there is nothing that you have ever done, nothing you will ever do, that could cause me to stop loving you. In fact, I want you to know how much I love you. That's why I sent Jesus to the cross. There's a song that the chorus of it goes like this. He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Do you realize that's the story right there in those words of God's love for every human being. That's, the cross makes the, that kind of love so clear to us. It's the cross that makes the depth of God's love so clear. It's the cross where we see the, the capacity of God's love. It's the cross where we see the links that God will go to to show us that love. Jesus felt alone because he became the scapegoat. Well, the story continues in Matthew 27. Verse 47, we read this. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save them. Now what causes them to go and get a stick and put something on it for Jesus to drink? Well, if you look over in John chapter 19, some of the details of the story are filled in there. You know, the story of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and resurrection are recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell different details of the story. And you put them all together and you get the whole picture. Listen to what we read in John chapter 19. Verse 28 says, Later, knowing that all was now complete, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty, A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus says, I'm thirsty. It's such a human thing to say, isn't it? And it helps us to see just how human Jesus really is. It is a reminder that that being that hung on the cross was just as human in that moment as every one of us. He knows about loneliness. He knows about discouragement. He knows what it is to feel overwhelmed. He knows what it is to feel powerless and helpless. He knows what it is to be hungry and tired and sleepy and and even thirsty. He knows what it feels like when the alarm clock goes off and we're not really ready to get up. He knows what it feels like when He hears some anger in our voice at situations in life. He nods in understanding when we confess to Him our helplessness. He recognizes what it feels like when we say to Him, God, there's so much more to do than I could ever possibly get done. You see, His simple words, I am thirsty, are a reminder that Jesus was human. And I think that's sometimes hard for us to grasp. A lot of us that grew up in the church, we have this kind of Sunday school image of Jesus and He doesn't look much like any man we've ever seen. Others of us just see Him as this being that we really don't know what He looks like. Could I I help you just for a moment to picture Him as a man? For just a a moment, would you see Him as just a a regular guy that might live near you? Would you just picture Him as a guy wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt? Maybe he lives just a few doors down the street from you. He's a a trim carpenter for a local home builder. He's just an average, normal guy. He's human. And with that picture of Jesus in your mind, I want you to listen to what they did to this man instead of doing it to us. Frederick Farrar, in his book, The Life of Christ, writes a description of what a crucifixion was like from a medical perspective. And so with that picture of a regular guy in your mind, listen to what they did to him. A death by crucifixion seems to include all the pain that death can give in terms of horrible and ghastly. Death by crucifixion embraced by the Romans involved dizziness, cramps, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, Shame, a long continuation of torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of intended wounds, all anticipated just up to the point at which the person could endure it, but stopping just short of the point where unconsciousness would bring relief. And it was designed to keep the person conscious and suffering. The unnatural position made every movement painful. Painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish. The wounds, the arteries, especially at the head and the stomach, became swollen and painful. And while each variety of misery went on gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pain of burning, raging thirst. And all of these physical complications caused an internal excitement and anxiety which made the prospect of death itself a delicious and exquisite release, but the person couldn't die. Jesus was oh so human when He hung on the cross. That's why He said, I am thirsty. He speaks again in John chapter 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, it says, Jesus said, it is finished. Without, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus had completed what he came to do. Once and for all, the sacrifice for our sins was complete, paid in full. You know, that word for finish would have been used in ancient times to mean a lot of different things. For instance, it might have been used by a servant who was talking to his master and he might have come to report that he had finished his assigned task and used that word, it is finished. The word might have been used by an artist to communicate that he had completed the picture. The word might have been used um, by a priest who was examining a potential animal sacrifice. And when he saw that the animal sacrifice was perfect and without blemish, he would have used that term for it is finished. Maybe best of all, it was used by a merchant and the merchant would use it to describe a debt that was paid in full. Jesus said, it is finished. The debt, our debt, has been paid in full. The picture of our life is now complete. The sacrifice for our sins is perfect. Jesus' task was completed. Forgiveness was granted, and Jesus says, It is finished. Now the story continues back in Matthew chapter twenty seven and verse fifty. Verse fifty says, And when Jesus had cried out again, and that's where he cries the words, It is finished, he gave up his spirit. Verse fifty one at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went on into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now there's a lot that happens there. But let's talk just about the, the curtain in the temple. Let me paint a picture for you. This curtain in the temple was huge. Some 60 feet wide by 30 feet tall. Much, much bigger than these curtains four inches thick. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, when He says it is finished, that curtain tore in two from top to bottom. Now you know what the significance of this curtain was? This curtain in the temple separated the place where the average person came to worship from the chamber called the Holy of Holies. So inside the Holy of Holies was the place where the the glory of God, the presence of God, dwelled. It was the place where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, the big thing that stored the, the Ten Commandments, the original tablets. And no person was ever allowed to leave the regular worship area and enter into the presence of God. And the reason was because we were guilty, the regular people were guilty of sin. And no one who carries the guilt of sin can be in the presence of God. Now once a year, the high priest would go through this long process of cleansing himself and then he would go into that Holy of Holies on the other side of the curtain on behalf of the people and he'd offer sacrifices to cover and to push back their sins. But nobody else ever entered the Holy of Holies. But at that instant when Jesus said, it is finished and He died, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom in two. I don't know if you were watching the other night, the SEC basketball tournament in the quarterfinals. There were teams playing, and a tornado blew through Atlanta, and part of the dome, the cloth portion of it, was ripped open. So That was impressive, scary for those people, but I want to tell you that was nothing in comparison to this curtain in the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. And you know what it meant? It meant now, because our sin had been paid for, because the penalty of our sin had been paid, that our relationship with God could be restored. And no longer were we not allowed to be in the presence of God. There was no longer any separation from God. Were you able to pray this week? You were, and you were heard. Because the curtain was torn in two. Can you worship God anytime, any place, anywhere? You can. Because the temple curtain was torn in two. Can you have a personal relationship with God? The answer is yes. Because the temple curtain was torn in two. Do you have the hope of spending eternity in heaven? You will. Because the temple curtain was torn in two. And our relationship with God was restored. I have a friend that is a judge. He's a circuit judge. He's a Christ follower and a great guy, very tender-hearted guy. But he has a high sense of justice. And when a crime has been committed, his justice demands that there be a punishment for that crime. So if you would imagine with me that someone has to appear before my friend, the judge, and He's guilty of embezzling, let's say, $20,000 from his company. He's embezzled this money and he's gone to Las Vegas several times and he's spent it on gambling. There were other examples from the news I thought of using this week, but I stayed away from that. Um, So he stands before the judge and um, he's found guilty of this crime. The judge says, you're guilty and here's your sentence. Because you've embezzled this money, you need to repay the $20,000 as a fine and it's five years in jail guilty but then my friend stands up and he takes off his judicial robes and he walks down from the judge's bench around to where the guy is and he takes his place out of his own life savings my friend the judge pays off that fine and he goes away to jail and serves the sentence for five years now what do you think that guilty man would think he wouldn't be able to believe it would he He'd be overwhelmed by that kind of generosity. Amazed by the willingness of someone to stand in His place. That is exactly the picture of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Our God, whose holiness demanded that a penalty be paid for our sin, for our crime, allowed His Son, Jesus, to willingly, voluntarily, lovingly, take our place, pay our penalty for our crime with His death on the cross and the shedding of His blood. In 1986, there was a parade held in Chicago to celebrate the veterans of the Vietnam War. It was held a long time after it should have been. But thousands of veterans from the Vietnam War gathered in the city for that parade They also brought the the movable Vietnam Wall Memorial to Chicago at the same time. A news crew went down to that memorial wall and they found there a Vietnam vet who was standing in front of that wall and some tears were falling down his cheeks as he was tracing one of the names on there. So they asked him, "What, what does this wall mean to you? And all he could say as he traced the carving of a name on that wall was he gave his life for me. I can't believe He gave His life for me. And as he continued to trace that and the tears continued to fall, the newscaster realized that's the end of the interview. And the camera just stood on that guy for a second as he continued to run his finger over that name. In a few moments, we will participate in a memorial that other Christ followers will participate in by the hundreds and thousands around the globe today. And as we hold those emblems, we will be reminded, and I hope we think to ourselves, He gave His life for me. I can't believe that willingly, voluntarily, lovingly, Jesus gave His life for me. It is finished. It is finished. Because of Jesus. God, thank You for an incredible, loving sacrifice that is so far beyond our comprehension that we can't even imagine it. God, I can't even begin to understand the pain of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross in my place. But God, thank You. Thank You for loving me like that. God, I accept again today in a fresh way your amazing gift that covers my sin, brings me hope, and gives me a promise for eternity. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.